Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome to The Working Therapist Podcast. I'm Hayden Bolick, and my co-host today is Kiersey Miles. Kiersey is the Vice President here at PDT, and if you've listened to other podcasts, she and I have done a bunch. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, we talk about therapists and physical and occupational therapy ideas, and we also talk about business and business-related ideas and concepts. And today, we're going to mix them both. So today, we're going to do a combo, five easy ways to burn out. So this involves therapists and therapist-related topics, but it also is a business thing, and it's also professionalism. You can be a great therapist and a lousy professional, but hopefully you're striving to be both. So we're going to talk about, and we hear the word burnout a bunch. So we thought, okay, five easy ways to burn out because we do hear that burnout quite a bit. So between Kirsty and I, we have over 30 years experience and neither one of us are burned out yet. Not saying we have all the right answers, but we feel like we've got some insight into this topic. So we are going to talk about burnout today because I'm not there yet and I'm getting old. Well, and I think we have learned things along the way. I think you learn a lot through trial and error. And I think that because we've done it and we've learned it, we want to share what we know because Mm -hmm. we've been doing it for a while. We have. And we still like what we do. So I do. You know, I get up in the morning. I'm ready to go to work. I'm there early. I like what I do. I just did an evaluation on a child. And you and I talked about this before. Sometimes in a therapy or an evaluation session, when I'm in the moment, time tends to stand still you know, and the rest of the world sort of gets closed out. And it's very satisfying to me when that family leaves and they have some answers or some resources or just some things that they didn't have before when they got there. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I've accomplished a good thing today. I agree, you know, especially with what you and I do all day at the core of what we do is always therapy. And so when you get involved in the therapy session, it's fun. It's what we do. It's what we went into therapy for to help somebody. And I feel very strongly about that. Like the clock stops. It does. We talk about how we have gotten hyper focused Mm -hmm. in the moment and everything's all about that child as it should be. I'm there to help that child. It's not about me or what I need at that moment. It's about the child and helping that family. And so it, it should be hyper focused on them. And I think it's about the challenge too, because if you're watching the clock, If you're at any job and all you're doing is watching the clock, you're not challenged. Mm -mm. No. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that need our help, that need speech or occupational and physical therapy. And there's not enough therapists to reach that need. And so we want to do what we can to sort of help therapists prevent the burnout because we do hear that sometimes and it confuses us. We're like, burnout? What is? We're still showing up working hard every day. We are. Now we're tired. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's mentally, physically. (laughs) I mean, what we do is hard work and we don't sugarcoat that in Mm -mm. any interview with anybody. (laughs) What we do is hard. We don't sugarcoat it in this podcast at all either. We're like, hey, this is hard work. So let's talk about burnout. Five easy ways to burnout and here's ways to prevent the burnout. So here they go. Number one is excessive evaluation length write up like a 10-page eval. If you're writing up a 10-page eval, that's a lot of excessive words that are not necessary. You know, at the end of the day, insurance wants to know, if you did a test, what are the scores? What are the results of the test? What are the primary deficits? What are the functional impairments? And what are the goals that this child is going to need to achieve? That's it. 
And why do they need you? Right. Justify it. So a lot of people talk all around it. And that creates 10 pages of stuff. stuff. And I'll tell you what, we have been submitting to Medicaid. And just Mm -hmm. to cover our bases, we attach the entire evaluation on the document screen. They have actually called and said, no, no, we don't want that. Don't attach that file anymore. And I think most... And, you know, we're in North Carolina, but most states in the country now, there's insurance gatekeeping, which is the authorization process. So as a therapist and most professions, medical professions or health professions, I should really say, you have to submit to insurance for authorization so you can see the child. And so they just want what Kirstie said. They don't want a bunch of excessive information. Nine times out of 10, if you're sending them this 10-page long, long eval, you're going to get it denied because they can't weed through all that. They don't have time. They don't want to figure out what it is that's going on with this child. And I think I mix the two up. They want the primary impairments, primary impairments that are causing the functional deficits, what it is that you're going to be addressing. So why does it have to be skilled? If you cover all of those four items in a nice little one paragraph summary, done, walk away. Yep. And pretty much every referring physician I've ever dealt with, that's all they want to because they don't have time to work with that either. No, they're back to back with patients also. Like they don't want to sit there five hours past when they want to go no. home and have dinner with their family. No. They need to be out the door too because they also want work-life balance. Now we have gotten 20 pages of information from a pediatrician or a doctor's office about a child, but it's like 20 well visit checks or 20, 20 <laughs> different visits or notes, but not like 20 pages of a report from one visit. We don't get that. So if the referral source is not sending you that, they don't have time to do it. You don't have time to read it. So you don't give it back to them. Give them the quick and dirty. And then you know what's going to happen? They're going to send you more referrals because you're succinct. You're to the point. You're specific. And probably that means you're helping their patient. Yeah, because you know what? If they don't have time to read it, it's going to go on the desk. And then it's going to get put under the stack of stuff because we all have stuff. So they're not going to get to your stuff fast. They're not going to prove it. You're going to get tired of writing all this stuff down. And also, you're not really to the point with what Kirstie was saying, just to the point. Maybe in some situations, maybe some people do like, one eval a day and the expectations you write up a report that's like 20 pages long I think those are rare situations that is not the normal so I'm speaking to the normal health professional allied health profession I mean I'm talking sort of more the typical schedule well and sometimes it comes with skill it comes with experience so that you can to get to the point does take experience because you really have to hone in on what is going on and you know Kirsty, we've talked about this and more specifics of an eval in our escape podcast so if you want more specifics on this topic it's about an eval look back at the podcast you know on iTunes or Stitcher at the working therapist podcast and look up the escape one that's about evaluation and what needs to be in it and that can give you a lot of hints as to what really has to be written up and more specifics, more depth information. But this is one quick way to burn out is writing reports that are five, 10 pages long. I tell you, speech is famous for it. So here's my advice. Stop. Well, and then what happens is you have one on Monday, you have one on Tuesday. Now you're in the whole two and you still don't have them written up. And then more are coming. You have updated plan of cares. That adds up to 10 really fast. Yes, it does. Now, here's number two way to burn out. And I just had a conversation with somebody this week about this issue right here. So sometimes people will write or they think, oh, gosh, this child needs new goals. So I've got to do this big, long eval. So you have to sort of pick and choose and some decision making on exactly what is needed. If you saw this child, this child walked into the clinic four months ago, brand new, right off the street. You did a pretty extensive eval, I'm sure, at the initial evaluation. Asked a lot of questions. You did the full write-up. Pretty decent. Four months later, you've been seeing the child weekly. You're like, oh gosh, they've met 
for these five goals. You don't need to do a big, long, excessive eval. Now, do you need to do an eval? Yes, but a clinical assessment because you can't change the goals and update the plan of care without a decision being made. There has to be some type of assessment and a decision point has been made about these goals. And so you do need to code out an eval and you need to write up something, but it's just a clinical assessment. It's very short and don't get caught up in writing like what you would have written up for the initial eval four months later and changing up the goals. That's too much work and it's not necessary. Again, what can they do? What can't they do? Why do they need you in the goals? And that's it. It's to the point. I mean, if you are changing the goal plan, a changing goal plan is an eval because there's some clinical determination, some reason why you're going in a different direction. So you did an assessment. You made a decision, you changed the direction, you wrote the goals accordingly. That's an assessment, but you don't have to write up even as extensive as something you did four months ago, for example, whatever. That's a very short, okay, what can they do? What can't they do? Why do they need you as a result? Why do they still need intervention? And the can and the can't spell out why they still need intervention, probably because they're still behind and there's not like Kirsten was saying, the functional and problem and how it's going to impact their daily life. That's just justification for it. The goals and then moving on. And that's it. A lot of times in those reports, I'll put under the birth history, unless anything new is there or updated medical information unless anything new is there I might see a report from whatever that date was well and sometimes what I'll do just to make it easier because you should only do standardized testing annually anyway so if I just did an eval six months ago with standardized testing I will report the testing from six months ago just so it's right there so when it goes to insurance there is no question because they're not going to look back at the eval I did six months ago but if I said the eval done on whatever Mm -hmm. date it was and list the scores and state not appropriate to reassess with standardized testing at this time as annual testing is appropriate done it's a copy and paste that's all that is and Mm -hmm. I put it in there and that helps with my justification now the only exception to that rule would be like in speech so say speech the child came in you did language testing and you didn't do any RT testing maybe they're like two and a half you couldn't really do the golden first so yet they're not saying enough words age three now they're saying more they're able to name the pictures that kind of thing i could see where you would want to do a speech assessment at that point but not necessarily a language assessment like here she said it's not appropriate to do that but once a year but if you're doing a different type of test then yeah and that happens a lot in the speech therapist world not a lot but some so two quick ways to burn out one excessive amounts of and write up in the eval oh stop two don't make more of it than it is every time you do an eval they're not all the same they don't have to be all exactly the same length just because somebody says it's an evaluation and say your evals typically are three pages if three pages aren't needed don't write it and i do hear this and it ties into this evaluation process is, well, you know, I really need to think it over. I'm not sure those goals are right. Well, guess what? If they're not, we can change them. This is not etched in stone. (laughs) These have to be done for the next six months. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You have to do this plan. No, I've written some stupid goals in my life. Unfortunately, (laughs) sometimes I still write stupid goals and I'll look at them a month later and think, who wrote that? Sheesh. And then daggum, if I'm not naming, is not on that piece of paper, which is very disappointing. What do you mean? With all that experience, you don't get it right all the time? Sometimes I get it wrong. I'm just saying. <laughs> I try to cover it up. <laughs> no, I can't. No, I don't. I can't. So don't overthink it. What can they do? What can't they do? Why do they need you? What is the problem that they need you? That's the justification. Why? They're either performing two standard deviations below the norm, if that's the test answer. But clinically, what can't they do? What's the functional? What's the implication? What's the impact to their functional daily life. That's why they need you. And then write the goals up based on that. That's it. Don't overthink it. And you know what? If you haven't been writing goals forever, or if you have been writing goals forever, they don't have to sound that pretty. Sometimes they just don't. So that's one. That's two. That's three, really. Actually, three is don't wait around to write the goals. Just write it. 
be in the moment. You know what helps me a lot and saves me a ton of time is writing the goals somewhere on a scratch piece of paper right there. If I can write them right there in the avow of something, then gosh, that takes 15 minutes off my avow right up. I agree 100%. Well, and we've talked about this in another podcast too. I believe Mm -hmm. it was the Escape podcast that basically when you're taking the history and getting the information from the parent, they've already told you what the area of difficulty is. They've already given you the goals that they need help with. Now you need to tweak and modify a little bit, but then you need to identify like, why can't they do that? Mm -hmm. And usually at the end of the vow, I'm saying, okay, well, here's what I want to do once a week or twice a week. And here's what I want to work on. And as I'm saying, here's what I want to work on. I'm scribbling it out on a piece of paper for myself and I stuff it in my pocket. And that saves me so much time. You just now need to make them pretty and measurable. Right. That's it. That's it. You've already got the idea. That's it. I, I scribble them on some piece of paper, stuff it in my pocket and rock on. So don't wait. 15 minutes. 15 minutes will be added to your life. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> what my supervisor told me in graduate school, and I was like, gosh, how am I going to know what to do? And he goes, well, you know, Hayden, if you're in the room and it's the parents and the child, you're the only speech language expert in there. Who else is going to know? I was like, well, I guess you're right. He goes, yeah, so just do the best you can with it. And he was right. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm the only one. I'm going to write down what I think I need to do and move on. Right. Great advice. Great advice. And then tweak it along the way. So a lot of times what I hear people say for number four is they're like, well, I wanted to go home, kind of like tying into what you just said about, I want to think about it. They'll say, well, I Googled it or I looked it up on YouTube or I went to Pinterest or I went to some other site and I was looking for the right answer. When did that child get on Google? So I'm always like, well, did you find the answer? And I promise you 99.9% of the time the person says no. So they wasted all of this time. They're like, oh gosh, I went home last night and spent hours Googling this and looking this up on mm-hmm. YouTube and trying to find an answer on Pinterest or this blog or this Facebook group I'm in or something. I'm like, they wasted so much time. No wonder they're tired the next day. They worked like 70 hours and 30 of them they didn't need to. Right. So I guess the takeaway from that one is look at the resources you have right there in the moment and right there at the workplace where you are. Probably most people are not working in isolation of other professionals every day, all day, five days a week. And are they going to give you 100% of the answer? No, but you went to graduate school. They might give you a little tidbit that might lead you in the right direction because every case is different, but it's just enough. It's a breadcrumb to get you there. Right. And so just try it out with the child and see how it goes. And so use the resources you have right there. Don't overlook those. Don't discount that stuff that's Mm -hmm. right there in front of you. Probably you've got a wealth of information and resource right there. And I bet you that if you're working with other professionals, it doesn't have to be just your discipline, speech, if you're just speech to speech or OT to OT or PT to PT. You know, there's nothing wrong with crossing over the gym or the wherever the clinic you're in. You can step over that line and ask those people. But I guarantee you the people that have experience would love for you to ask them. They're probably dying to tell somebody what they know. I mean, you get to a certain point in your career and kind of you want to share your knowledge and share your information, you know? So I bet they want what you've got. They probably know something about what you're asking and they probably would like to tell you. And guess what? We just saved you an hour of research tonight. You're welcome. Now you can watch The Bachelor or whatever normal people do. I don't <laughs> no know. Idea. I don't even know. Anyway, um, exactly. I don't know. So that's number four. Know when to say no to the internet and walk away and then look at the resources that you have right there. Don't discount all it of It can those. be a powerful tool, but it can also be your worst enemy. It can. It can. Yes. And you have a computer in your pocket, which is your phone. So it's so easy to get all that information. And of course, you know, people who are much younger than me, that's where they go for their stuff. And it's a great tool and it's a great thing to use, but don't overlook the people that are right there. 
ask the people. Mm -hmm. Number five. So I see a lot of times other people getting caught up in excessive emails. Well, number one at PDT, we don't give out therapist contact information. We don't give out your cell phone number. You all have a, our therapists at PDT have a wave file. So if they were to get a call from a parent that goes to our main line, it gets transferred to an email, voicemail, so that no personal information is given out. And also our emails are not listed on our website. And that is to protect our therapist time. Does anybody out there email their doctor like on a daily basis if they have questions? No, you take them to your next appointment. So that needs to be the expectation. We are a medical practice. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. And I think sometimes there's an urgency to help people and help them get better and educate them. But that needs to be done over time. If you give somebody all this information at one time, it's information overload. They can't take it all in. So you got to remember that they don't have the level of education with the area of expertise that we do. So we have to kind of control how we give that information because sometimes, number one, they might not be ready to take in all that information or just the level of understanding is different and we need to kind of tweak and give it in layman's terms. Well, when you give it all in an email, it can get lost. It can get bumble jumbled. You start getting back and forth questions. Well, now outside of the therapy session, outside of your billable treatment session is all this time spent not. And so the reason we have it set up the way we do at PDT is because we do believe in work-life balance. We believe from eight to five, we are all in, we are working hard, we believe in what we do, but we also believe that you can have a life outside of the eight to five. And so we try really hard to protect your time. But when people, therapists, start doing the email and the contact and liking people on Facebook, it crosses a boundary, a professional boundary. And so we don't expect that of you. We don't expect there to be this email communication. Number one, then is it in the patient's chart and documented because it has to be. So if you're emailing a bunch of stuff and it's not getting documented in the chart, number one, that's a no-no. But also it leaves room for question, then things can't be answered. And I see a lot of times that it might just be like scheduling a vendor or an orthotic consult. And rather than doing it in the moment, Hayden and I talk about doing things in the moment. Again, when we're working and we're with a patient, we're all in. Let's make it happen now. Right now. Yep. Instead of, oh, let me write a to-do list. Well, because at the end of the week, now you got 30 things to do that are outside of the therapy session that could have been done in a different time frame. Yep. You added that work to your workload. We did not. Yeah, the organization that you're working for did not. You did. You mm-hmm. added it. It's easy to fall into that email trap and say, oh, well, I'm communicating. I'm collaborating. But that's not always a collaborative situation, in my opinion, the email back and forth. I don't consider email that collaborative. Do you, Kirsty? I don't. I think personality-wise, it's really good if an extrovert's got a lot to say and they got to get it all out there. I also see a lot of times, no, I'm serious. And I see, I'm doing the flip side too. I see introverts do it that because they need the time to process and think, they have to get it out later because they're not ready to do it in the moment. And again, it comes with experience. But rather than write it all out in an email and send it, yes, there are going to be things that you take home and think about. And that is part of being new in the profession. You're going to get better at it. But if you keep with the everything goes through email, I'm going to email every single one of my patients. Number one, a big thing for me is, are you treating every patient on your caseload the same? Mm-hmm. 
because you know me, that's a big thing Mm -hmm. of mine. Mm -hmm. I expect that everybody gets the same quality of care, the same level of care. So if that family is, well, mom, email me. So I'm now we go back and forth, back and forth. Well, then do it for every single one of them. How's that going to work? Yeah, you'll be exhausted. It's not possible. So again, the organization doesn't require it of you. You are setting yourself up for burnout. You're completely setting yourself up for burnout. So don't create a bunch of work. I had a therapist one time who said to me, well, gosh, I spent this weekend. Yeah, I spent five hours on Saturday looking up swings for this family. I'm like, did what? I was like, you spent five hours Googling swings to recommend for this family? I was like, bye, bless your heart. Goodness gracious. And she goes, I am exhausted. I'm like, well, of course you are. You did not get your weekend. Why did you do that? And she goes, well, they needed that information and they wanted me to email them. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I talked to her about, hey, you know, what's wrong with the swing that we're using here in the clinic? And she goes, no, it's great. I said, then tell them to take a picture of the tag, the manufacturer, and they can look it up and find it because you already have the answer. You had the answer. What were you looking for? And she said, well, (laughs) she really didn't have an answer for me. I said, so if this one works, what were you looking at? I'm still not sure. I don't know that she was, but I was like, my gracious, five hours on Saturday looking up swings and stuff for a family. I have stuff to do on Saturday and it's not that. No, it's not. And I like to be informed of the equipment that's out there, but you got to know when to say no and when to stop. And then also that kind of goes into our next point, which is nice to do and what you have to do. Number six, what's nice to do versus what you have to do. So when you're working on your stuff and you're prioritizing your things, get what you have to do done first. You have to do daily notes. You have to write up your vows. You got to do those. You're not going to get out of that. It's a done deal. Insurance said so. Insurance said so. Our code of ethics said so. You have to document. Timely. Yes. You have to document timely. If you didn't document it, it really didn't happen. So you have to write it down. So do that because you have to. Is it good to stay informed up of the equipment that's out there? Absolutely. But once you get all the have-tos done, then you go to the nice-tos and you recognize kind of what it's nice to do versus the have-to. And a lot of that comes with experience. Mm-hmm. When you're not out looking for it, it just, oh, cool, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm going to tuck that away for later. And over the course of time with experience, years of experience, it all just starts to flow. And if you're not sure, then ask. Ask somebody in the organization, what's the priority here? What do I have to get done first? You know, because you might be thinking, and the nice-to-dos or the have-to-dos, and they're not. So ask Mm -hmm. whoever's in charge, whoever you report into in that organization, ask them what it is so that you can figure out on your list what's your actual to-do list versus what you think might be your to-do list. Because that's one quick way to burn out is doing more stuff than you really have to do. Nobody's asking you to do it potentially. Now, there are times where you're like, you know, I need an article that supports Mm -hmm. why I'm doing this type of therapy. Mm -hmm. I need to know for myself. Now, that's just a professional expectation. Because we're in a professional role. Yes, exactly. But so, for example, if you're thinking that you've got to email every family after you saw them, you should ask, is this a requirement that I do this? Because for us, our answer will be no, we don't want you to do that. And we'd actually talk about it in advance. But the requirement here is you write the daily note and you can give them that. (laughs) And you can refer to our other podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Be careful about your to-do list and assess what's nice to do, what you have to do. You know, Kirstie, I would even to back up what you said as a professional, you know, it is have to do that you stay current, that you keep yourself educated, that you learn, that you continue sure. to grow. I consider that a have to do. But on a daily thing or a weekly thing, if I've done five vows, that's going to take the back seat and I'm going to get my vows written up first. And then I'm going to go to the, I need to educate myself, you know, kind of thing. So I think for those things, I back up what you're saying, but I think you, some of those stuff is you start to pick and choose the weeks you do that, you know, and prioritize. Well, you focus on, you write it down, you mm-hmm. write it down on your action item yep. list, you tuck it away for later. Mm-hmm. That's 
it's a nice to do. And when I have downtime, which if you are staying up on all your paperwork and your daily notes and your evals, and then you get a cancellation and a gap in your schedule, perfect. Fill it with the research. There is time available during the work week to do that. Yes, it is. Promise. There is. There is. So just to wrap up our burnout stuff, I think, you know, with all of these topics, none of the topics and the stuff that get people off base, none of the stuff is about therapy. You know, it's all of this is just excessive stuff. It's collateral. Yeah. All of the stuff doesn't help anybody get better necessarily. Writing this 20 page report up is not going to help anyone get better faster than like a three page report or a two-page report or a one-page. What do we tell people? You're not in graduate Uh -uh. school anymore. Nobody's giving you an A Uh or an F. And again, like I said before, maybe in some rare situations, their 20-page report is what you're supposed to do where you are. Maybe for AAC. Who even (laughs) knows? I'd say no to that. I did have a therapist one time with AAC. Gosh, every one of my AAC evals are 10 pages long. I said, my gosh, your hands have got to be tired. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't say it like in a smart alecky kind of way. Maybe that sounded a little smart alecky, but it wasn't. But I was like, legit, like, that's a lot of typing. A lot of typing. And so I'm like, why does it have to be 10 pages? She said, that's just what I learned in graduate school. My professor said it had to be 10 pages. I said, they taught you the long (laughs) way so you understand what you're doing. I said, are you sure? (laughs) So anyway, think about the why of what you do. The answer to burnout is not to forget of why you're doing what you're doing, your passion, your excitement for what you're doing. So don't let other things get in the way and compete with that, you know? Get back to what makes you excited about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And this is fun. Get back to that and don't let all the Mm -hmm. collateral stuff get in the way of it. That's the answer to burnout. So a lot of these points that we talk about in burnout are nice things to do. Mm. They are, mm-hmm. but they're not required. To piggyback on that too, Kirsty, is so, you know, to go back to my AAC example of the therapist who wrote a 10-page of our report, I think she was really excited and proud about that herself. I think that was kind of a feather in her cat. Well, my AAC vows are 10 pages long. Oh, good. But it's not about you. So just because you can write a 10-page of vow and that's nice for you and that's nice that you did that this is really not about you this is about this child and helping them get an AAC device and I don't know that a 10-page report is going to help them get that device any faster than a two-page report so if the two-page report helps them get that goody you can write a 10-page great awesome when when the time comes do it but for right now we have to write the two-page we do not have to it's nice to write the 10-page this child needs this device and that's what I'm passionate and excited about and that's what's fun so that prevents the burnout You can write five of them that are all two pages, and that equals 10 pages. And now you've gotten five children devices. (laughs) There you go. Boom, baby. That's a drop the mic. (laughs) But you can't drop the mic on a podcast because nobody can see that. Anyway, so thanks for sharing some time with Kirstie and I. And we will check you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.